0: Good morning ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Canaxis Inc. Fiscal 2021 Second Quarter Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. Instructions will be provided at that time for you to queue up for questions. I'd like to remind everyone that this call is being recorded today, Friday, August 6th, 2021. I will now turn the call over to Rick Wadsworth, Vice President of Investor Relations at Canaxis Inc. Please go ahead, Mr. Wadsworth.
1: Thanks, Operator. Good morning and welcome to the Canaxis Earnings Call. Today we will be discussing our second quarter results, which we issued after close of markets yesterday. With me on the call are John Scard, our President and Chief Executive Officer, and Blaine Fitzgerald, our Chief Financial Officer. Before we get started, I want to emphasize that some of the information discussed on this call is based on information as of today, August 6, 2021, and contains forward-looking statements that involve risks and uncertainties. Actual results may differ materially from those set forth in such statements. For a discussion of these risks and uncertainties, you should review the forward-looking statements disclosure in the earnings press release as well as in our CDAR filings. During this call, we will discuss IFRS results and non-IFRS financial measures. The reconciliation between IFRS results and non-IFRS financial measures is available in our earnings press release and in our MD&A, both of which can be found on the IR section of our website, Canaxis.com, and on CDAR. Participants are advised that the webcast is live and is also being recorded for playback purposes. An archive of the webcast will be made available on the investor relations section of our website. Neither this call nor the webcast archive may be re-recorded or otherwise reproduced or distributed without prior written permission from Canaxis. To begin our call, John will discuss the highlights of our quarter, as well as recent business developments, followed by Blaine, who will review our financial results and outlook. Finally, John will make some closing statements before opening up the line for questions. We have a presentation to accompany today's call, which can be downloaded from the investor relations homepage of our website, canaxis.com. We will let you know when to change slides. I'll now
2: turn the call over to John. Thank you, Rick, and good morning, everyone. Thank you all for joining us today. I'm going to start on slide three. I'm uh, pleased to report the progress Canaxis has made in the second quarter, including SAS revenue growth of 18% to 42.3 million, total revenue of 60.1 million, and an adjusted EBITDA margin of 12%. These results keep us well on track towards our previously communicated guidance for the year. Moving to slide four, we continue to experience tremendous momentum in our business. We we won a record number of new customers for a second quarter. And year to date, we have more than doubled new wins compared to the same period last year. Roughly half of new customers have adopted our rapid start our accelerated deployment package, and the majority continue to be partner influenced. Approximately half our new customers came from the mid-market, a segment that views Rapid Start as a very appealing approach. While we're seeing great contributions from all of our vertical markets, life sciences and pharmaceuticals and CPG have been notably strong so far this year. As always, the list of new customers we welcomed during the quarter is humbling and includes companies like Subaru of America, the world-class automaker, Clarion, a global specialty chemical manufacturer, and Johnson Outdoors, an innovator in top-quality recreational products that inspire people to experience the great outdoors. You would have also read our recent announcements naming Viant and Avantest as can access customers. Additionally, Canaxis and our customer Bell Textron, an 85-year-old global aircraft manufacturer, were recognized by Supply and Demand Chain Executive for delivering one of the top supply chain projects of 2021. The awards spot spotlight successful and innovative transformation projects that deliver bottom-line value to enterprises. Our rapid response platform strategy continues to gain traction as we announced a new solution extension partnership with LevaData. LevaData's supply risk navigator will be integrated with rapid response to help companies assess the impact of supplier risk, provide mitigation recommendations, and engage suppliers to execute an updated plan. Valuable functionality in times marked by such disruption. On to slide five, with three consecutive quarters of strong results, our confidence continues to gain momentum for a return to accelerated growth. To further demonstrate a more accurate view into the health of our business, we are introducing a new metric, annual recurring revenue, or ARR for short. At the end of Q2, our ARR reached the key milestone of 200 million up approximately 24% from Q2 last year and is the highest growth rate in any period we've measured going as far back as 2018. This outstanding achievement drives our confidence in a return to accelerated SaaS revenue growth in 2022 and the midterm to the 23 and 25% range with potential to be even higher. Blaine will go into more details on how we calculate ARR later. We fully believe that we are now benefiting from the extra attention that has been brought to our market in general, and to the unique unique value Canaxis brings to it in particular. I'll now ask Blaine to discuss the results in more detail for Q2.
3: Blaine? Thank you, John, and good morning. As a reminder, unless noted otherwise, All figures reported on today's call are in U.S. dollars under IFRS. Moving on to slide six, total revenue in the second quarter was down 2% to $60.1 million, as healthy growth in SaaS and professional services revenue was offset by a normal cyclical decrease in subscription term license revenue. SaaS revenue grew 18% to $42.3 million, driven by new customer wins and the expansion of existing customer subscriptions. So, Subscription term license revenue was $0.6 million, down from $10 million in the comparable period. This result was expected as fluctuations in this revenue item are tied to the normal renewal cycle of our customer hosted software subscriptions. And such renewals are at the low point of the cycle this year. Our professional services activity was strong again, resulting in $14 million in revenue, or 13% growth over the corresponding quarter of 2020. This revenue varies from quarter to quarter based on the number, size, and timing of customer projects underway, as well as the proportion of work assumed by partners. Maintenance and support revenue for the quarter was $3.1 million, largely in line with the result in Q2 2020. We continue to be pleased with the diversity and strength of our total revenue base. For the quarter, our 10 largest customers account for 27% of our total revenues, with no individual customer accounting for greater than 10% of total revenues. Gross profit decreased by 12% to $40.3 million, representing a gross margin of 67% compared to 75% in Q2 2020. The change in margin largely reflects a couple of items. First, the significantly lower proportion of subscription term license revenue in Q2 2021, which contributes nearly 100% gross margin. And second, significant investments in headcount and data centers made last year and to date this year, which are helping Canaxis support our ever-increasing base of customers. Adjusted EBITDA was $7.1 million for a margin of 12% compared to 37% in the second quarter last year. Again, this reflects the impact of the natural cycle of subscription term license revenue and important uh, investments in all of our operating teams across the organization globally, most notably throughout 2020. These investment initiatives are helping to create a scalable base to support much higher revenue for Canaxis in the future. We recorded a profit of $3.1 million in the quarter, compared to $9 million in Q2 2020. During Q2, Canaxis received $7.9 million in non-refundable government grants related to the pandemic, of which 1.9 million was applied against cost of revenues and benefited gross margin by three percentage points. The remaining 6 million was applied against operating expenses. The amounts were excluded from our adjusted EBITDA calculation. Q2 cash flow from operating activities was $15 million compared to $30.8 million in the second quarter of 2020. At June 30, 2020, cash, cash equivalents, and short-term investments totaled $232.9 million compared to $213.1 million at the end of 2020. We, We remain pleased with our outstanding track record of cash generation. Looking at slide seven, our backlog, or what we're now referring to as Remaining Performance Obligation, or RPO, remains very strong It grew to $381 million, up 14% from June 30th, 2020. This amount includes $358.9 million of SAS revenue RPO, which represents a 19% increase from the comparable period. $94 million of our RPO will be recognized as revenue in 2021, of which $86.3 million relates to SAS business. Further details can be found in the revenue note to our financials. From the change in RPO over the period and adjusting for revenue recognized, you can calculate that total bookings in Q2 were $43.1 million, of which SAS bookings were $40.4 million. Going forward, we won't be discussing the bookings figure, though it is easily calculated from our disclosures. The bookings amount has limited value as an indicator of business momentum, as it includes both bookings of new business that generates future revenue growth and renewals of existing business that simply maintain the revenue base. In other words, a quarter with very high bookings may not be as exciting as it seems if it's predominantly comprised zero growth renewals. As an example, in Q2, the vast majority of our bookings were incremental and renewals were very low. On to slide eight. You can see we're introducing a much more useful KPI for you to follow annual recurring revenue, or ARR. ARR provides a more timely view into growth in our subscription run rate, and as such, is a very strong indicator of momentum in our business. We define ARR as a total annualized value of recurring subscription amounts for all subscription contracts at a point in time, whether the software is delivered from our cloud, as is the case in the vast majority of our customers, or hosted by customers on their premises. Ultimately, these subscription amounts are recognized as SAS, subscription term licenses, and maintenance and support revenue. But ARR are normalized for the varying revenue recognition treatments under IFRS. Annualized subscription amounts are determined solely by reference to the underlying contracts and excludes one-time fees, such as the non-recurring professional services. Given the stickiness of wrapper response in our install base, AR assumes that customers will renew the, the contractual commitments on a periodic basis as those commitments come up for renewal, unless such renewal is known to be unlikely. For the second quarter, our AR accelerated to $200 million, or 24% higher than in Q2 2020, which is the highest growth rate in any period we measured AR. Going back to 2018, we see this result and the recent trend in AR as a good indicator of the strong momentum we're experiencing currently. A couple of things to consider. We fully expect that AR growth will fluctuate between quarters, so we caution you not to read too much into small, periodic changes. Growth is tied to the timing of booking new business, which doesn't always follow a predictable pattern we encourage you to focus on longer-term trends. We will only be disclosing total AR, representing all of our contracts, but SaaS ARR growth is higher than for a relatively small group of on-premise customers and also higher than growth in total AR. We expect that to remain the case ahead. Looking at slide nine, based on our track performance so far this year, Healthy RPO, outstanding recent momentum in AR, and healthy outlook for our business and the market in general, we continue to have full confidence in our guidance for fiscal 2021. To reiterate, we expect total annual re- revenue for 2021 to be in the range of 242 to 247 million. 2021 SaaS revenue growth to be between 17 and 20 percent subscription term license revenue to be between 3 and $5 million in 2021, and an adjusted EBITDA margin of 11 to 14% for 2021. We're also very confident that the positive trend in our air supports our assertion that 23 to 25% SAS revenue growth is a sustainable target over the midterm, including for 2022. We look forward to giving specific guidance ahead.
2: With that, I will turn the call back over to John. Thank you, Blaine. We're pleased with our progress to date and remain firmly on track for the year. More importantly, we're excited to see significant momentum return to our business and to provide you with increased visibility into those trends. As always, thank you for taking the time to join us on the call. And with that, I'll turn the line over to the operator for Q&A.
0: Thank you. We'll now begin the question and answer session. To ask a question, you may press star than one on your touchdown phone. If you're using a speakerphone, we ask that you please pick up your handset before pressing the keys. To withdraw your question, please press star than two. Today's first question comes from Richard C. with National Bank Financial. Please go ahead.
4: Yes, uh, thank you. And thanks for sharing those uh, new metrics. Uh, those are actually really helpful. Um, In terms of the rapid start, I just wanted to sort of ask, you know, last year you had a number of notable wins there, understandably. Uh, I'm kind of curious to know, you know, how many of those wins from last year have sort of converted into, you know, what what would a full deployment be of, of rapid response?
2: Um, well, you know, the intent of Rapid Start, and uh, you know, essentially, Rapid Start was born from uh, you know understanding the implications of COVID, where many of our customers said to us, "Look, we need to we need to find some cure to what ails us inside of a very short window here," and so um, you know, Rapid Start was intended to provide that go live state, you know, from project start to go live inside of a, a three month window. Uh, And then extend from there. So I will say that, um, you know, we have experienced very successful rapid starts inside of that window with existing accounts that were closed uh, in prior periods and have seen already extensions begin from, you know, from those starting points. So, you know, you're essentially at a live state with concurrency inside of a three month window and extending from that point, uh, from that point forward. So, you know, it's working exactly as intended. Um, the other thing that rapid start, uh, has done, you know, has done for us, um, while, you know, they tend to start smaller and faster, um, we're seeing, I would say, a return to more normalized, uh, land and expand type of percentage uh you know contribution to subscription growth you know when we when we went public we were close to 50 you know 50 subscription uh growth through net new wins and 50 percent uh of subscription growth through expansions we're closer to that we're closer to that now uh than we were you know in previous years which is extremely healthy and exactly what we intended um, you know, so you know it's great to see Rapid Start and the strategy that we've taken with Rapid Start work this way. You know, uh, one, it is driving record number of net new wins, um, and two, we're seeing exactly what we expected to see, which is a return to uh, a more normalized um, percentage breakdown uh, between net new wins and customer expansion. Hopefully, that uh, answered your question, Richard.
4: Yeah, no, that's helpful. Thanks. Um, Sort of just switching gears a little bit, you know, you're just over a year past Rubicloud. Can you maybe give us a sense of, you know, how that's been integrated and can access and how they've been contributing to uh, the rapid response platform?
2: So we have, um, you know, if you recall the, the three main pillars for Rubicloud, the acquisition around Rubicloud, first and foremost, was that they had solved use cases that we could resell into markets that we currently serve, uh, predominantly the CPG space, to some extent, life sciences, um, and and so we have been successful in achieving, uh, you know that, you know, achieving success in that in that particular pillar, selling uh, selling their value into the CPG customers that we that we have um, existing. You know, the second uh, element was their bench strength in machine learning, and so they essentially more than doubled the size of our machine learning bench. And, uh, and so we are actively working this year at, um, you know, at merging the technologies so that, so that we have exactly one machine learning platform. And that is going exceptionally well. The third pillar was their entry, their successful entry into the retail space. And so today we have retail customers. In fact, uh, we had retail customers speaking at, uh, at, a, at one of our conferences recently. Um, And so I'd say their their contribution is is still early in the segment here, early in the in the cycle uh, of that investment. But everything that uh, motivated us to acquire them um, is manifesting itself quite well.
4: Okay, and just last one quick one here Uh, in terms of OpEx, you know, I totally understand what you're doing in terms of uh, setting up for growth. So as we move into 2020, do you think that those investments will start to level off as you kind of harvest that growth from the current round of investment?
3: Yeah, a good question. And we we, we definitely see that the, uh, the investments we made will level off a little bit. Um, as we've told you uh, before, uh, we've invested heavily in data centers. We've uh, invested in our headcount to ensure that we were able to scale appropriately with the increase in customers that we are seeing. Um, if, if you had asked me three quarters ago, were we expecting to just keep on saying we're going to have a record customers, record customers, record customers every single time we get on these calls, I don't think I would have been as confident as, as uh, now, now seeing where the numbers are, are at. So we're pretty happy with the investments we've made, but you're absolutely right. This will level off. Um, what we have talked about is that uh, on an adjusted EBITDA margin uh, perspective, in the midterm, we will be uh, back to that 20% range uh, in the uh, midterm. Okay. Great. Thanks, guys.
0: And our next question today comes from Thanos Moskopoulos with BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
4: Hi.
5: Good morning. Uh, John, just in terms of the traction in, in the mid-market, um, can you clarify the go-to-market there? Do you have an overlay sales force, or is it the, the same sales force targeting mid-market as enterprise? And um, uh, are you seeing the mid-market traction across all verticals and geographies, or are there some in particular that you would call out where the traction is more pronounced?
2: Yes yeah, a great question uh you know we have actually been in the mid market for quite some time. I'd say perhaps you know it was by accident. you know people would come to us from the mid market of course uh, you know in in the in the verticals that we serve we would we would gladly accept them. It's different now because I would say it's uh you know tackling mid market on purpose. rapid start is a key uh element to that. It's extremely uh you know something extremely uh positive for mid-market customers you know when they can engage with us and and see um you know time to value inside of a 3 month window uh we have in fact um, applied mid-market specific sales force you know to tackle this uh to, you know to tackle this market so so that is underway, uh, and it's you know again in combination with with rapid starts that that essentially is what what we're leading with um, and I'd say roughly fifty percent of our net new wins in this past quarter were as a result of that strategy um and so I fully expect to see you know the continuation if you will of that land expand um you know percentage split continue as we uh, as we roll out that um Uh, as we roll out, roll forward with the strategy, as it relates to TAM, you know, across our seven, uh, you know, verticals, it's quite meaningful. And this is to say this, this is an and strategy, we're, we're by no means, you know, uh, stepping away from large enterprise um, accounts, as, as, you know, I relayed with companies like Subaru America. Uh, And so by no means are we stepping back from that. But but again, it's just a, it's an and strategy where we're, applying energy, investment, uh, product packaging to tackle mid-market on, um, on purpose. And, and so this is you know, definitely having a, an impact on, on the momentum that, that we're experiencing uh, today. And, and you know, what we're seeing obviously is you know, whether, you, whether companies are a billion in revenue or 75 billion in revenue, they're being impacted by this global pandemic in precisely the same ways. You know they're hurting in precisely the same ways, and so it's it's wonderful to see. Um, you know, it's wonderful to see that that rapid start is having the desired effect. And look, there's something else uh, I haven't mentioned, but um, you know we we've been monitoring this very very closely, and it is the overall sales cycle. You know we you know as long as you've noticed Thanos, you know uh, it's a it's a measure that I've been looking at, and and so there were. There's a, you know, part of me that said, you know, when we exercise this strategy of rapid start and we tackle the mid-market, will we see some reduction in overall sales cycle? And while it is early, it's early, you know, we are, Um, you know, we have seen, we have definitely seen um, net new wins. In sales cycles that are significantly lower than that 18-month type of threshold we've been talking about. In fact, it was one that was measured in weeks, not months. Weeks. And so, again, very early. It's super early to say, yeah, that's going to be a trend. But um, you know, I, I, th- I sort of think about it this way, Thanos. It's the thesis behind our investments into Rapid Start and and tackling uh, the mid market. And by the way, in some cases. Um, you know, these uh, these are benefiting very large enterprise accounts also. I, I also don't want people to think that rapid start is a mid-market strategy. Not at all. Um, you know, we've been very successful with that strategy with extremely large enterprise accounts as well that are just looking to say, look, I want to be a hero in three months. We need to be live in three months. I need to feel better in three months, and then we'll extend from that point. Um, so uh, I would, you know, again, just... Uh, close off the question, I'd say it's had a, a pretty meaningful uh, impact to our overall uh, pipeline. And our, our pipeline is larger now than it was three months ago.
5: Thanks, John. The sales cycle question was going to be my next question, so, so thank you for answering that. Um, <laughs> <we have> <laughs> Uh, I got a quick one for, for Blaine, which is uh, I know the sales commissions were lower this quarter, um, despite uh, the very strong uh, net new bookings. Is there anything to call out there, any change to commission structure, or is that just a, a timing issue or, or some quarterly noise?
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a timing issue. I mean, there's a, I mean, there's a good reason why we gave AR. Um, I, you know, when, I, when I went back and I first got on this call, I think uh, three quarters ago, I, I said, the health of the business had never been stronger. We just talked about where our uh, our pipeline was over 40%. We uh, were doing quite quite well with bringing on new customers, and AR was was really kind of the thing that was kind of in my in my mind saying why don't people understand this? Because once they understand this, they'll know exactly what our future is going to look like. The when you look at our our commissions and that that uh, that figure, it has so many different. Uh, I guess factors that could change it. Number one, we change the way that we we look at our commissions on an annual basis. That that can change on an annual, annual, uh, I guess, uh, momentum. And then the the other thing is that uh, we have certain uh, contracts that will fall off uh, because they've been on on the uh, on the balance sheet at a certain point in time, and so it will change as well. And and when we think about where it is today, I'm. I, I look at it and I make sure that it's it's following IFRS. Um, but at the same time, uh, as far as where I'm thinking about the growth of the co- the uh, company, AR is is what I'm going to be looking at because it's uh, it's showing us a pretty clear vision of uh, some really green fields for us right now.
5: Great, thanks, both.
0: That's one. And our next question today comes from Daniel Chen with TD Securities. Please go ahead.
6: Yeah. Thanks. Good morning, um, and thanks for the ARR metric. Uh, I do recognize that bookings is is not the perfect one out there, but I did want to dig into that a little bit. We, we've seen strong bookings out of many large enterprise software players recently, uh, but your SaaS book to bill this quarter came in under 100%. Just wondering if you believe the low book to bill is just the results of, of timing around the renewals that you mentioned, or, or if there's something else.
3: That's exactly it. We um... I have a different chart we, we haven't shown uh, shown you, but it shows like the incremental and it shows the renewals and what we have for total bookings and uh, it's almost this this quarter is the, the first quarter I've ever seen where incremental bookings almost fills up the full gross bookings amount. The renewals are, are a very small amount and um, it just happens that Q2 of 2021 is not a big renewal quarter for us. Um, once we uh, once we have a, a bigger a bigger contract coming up for renewal or, or number of contracts coming up for renewal, that will help that gross booking number. But again, incremental bookings are, are phenomenal; they're the vast majority of what you're seeing in that that figure we've shown you. Um, renewals are a very small amount in Q2 of 2021. Okay,
6: that's good to hear. Um, and then capex was also higher this quarter. Uh, what was that going to? <clears throat>
3: So uh the, the biggest item we have is uh and we're very very excited. We have our new uh, headquarters that uh we can actually see from our our building that we're in right now. I uh, I was we were uh, looking at the at the building uh, outside of our window and it's it's looking fantastic at this stage. So uh the large amount uh went into uh went into that.
6: Okay. And then, and the final one for me, talent continues to be a, a constraint on growth for many software companies is, is this something you're seeing and do you anticipate any kind of wage inflation to to creep up thanks
2: yeah it's a it's it's i think it's an obvious um challenge that a lot of people are you know are are facing with uh, you know sort of the work from anywhere um opportunities you know at access we have a phenomenal phenomenal Uh, Culture that we uh, that we nourish every single day, anchored on three simple words: people matter. Here, Uh, we continue to um, you know to experience you know I'd say a normal uh, you know acceptance rate of of new hires. We continue to be hiring. Um, You know we we ended the the second quarter with you know over a thousand full-time equivalents but that does not tell the whole story we have an extremely extremely healthy co-op program and uh and so you know the number is significantly higher than that as we include uh, the co-op team and we continue to hire and so it is something that we monitor uh, but our attrition rates and our acceptance rates uh, of uh you know of uh of offers at the moment continues to be as healthy as it was, uh, you know, in prior periods. Now, we're obviously going to continue to monitor that. And, uh, you know, we are extending our, I'd say, our R&D, you know, footprint through that acquisition of Rubicloud. So we we now have a pool of talent in the Toronto area as well as in Ottawa. Um, And then, again, the culture and everything we do, uh, you know, I focus a lot of, of attention on making CanAxis a magnet, make it making it a destination for um, you know for new grads uh, and fresh talent, and so we're um, you know like everyone else, you know we're going to compete um, you know based on our on our merits.
0: Okay, thank you. Our next question today comes from Robert Young at Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead.
2: Hi, good morning.
5: Um, through uh, the beginning of the pandemic, you talked about user activity on the platform, surging and a lot of your customers finding new ways to use rapid response. And I thought maybe now uh, revisiting that, have you seen engagements or remain higher or has it calmed down? And then you know, a second part to that would be you know the the mix shift back towards 50% you know new and expansion is that some of the some some older customers who come back onto the platform through the pandemic looking for you know rapid response already installed and running to sort of solve the problems
2: yeah so so the as it relates to activity um uh, you know that continues to be steady you know uh you know through through the pandemic we we definitely saw a lot more Uh, scenarios being run and and we continue to see that trend Uh, and of course you know as Blaine just said this is the third quarter of record record net new customer wins Um, three quarters in a row record number of net new customer wins and so you know obviously that drives the the activity in our data centers uh, as well as you know especially with rapid start they're looking to um, apply the value and the benefits of concurrent planning uh, in a very, very swift manner, in a, you know, in a live setting, in a production setting. So we're continuing to see that, you know, very healthy numbers there. Uh, and the second half of your your question, can you repeat that again, sorry?
5: Yeah, just, just curious to see if some of your older uh, – have any of your oh, older yes. customers come back more engaged in, in the past?
2: Yeah, it's it's a real com- a combination of both. Uh, but again, you know, when you think about rapid start being, you know, go live within three months, essentially one quarter, and uh three quarters of record level net new accounts um and you combine that with the statement of sort of a return to roughly fifty fifty, um, you know, you can see that the blend is obviously uh you know a a, a function of both, right? It's a function of Net new customers um, expanding inside of a very, uh, you know, a, a, a very tight window, and it's also a combination of existing customers that continue to expand. Some of which we've been, uh, we've been working with for 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 many years, um, and I think I mentioned this during the last earnings call. You know, uh, when we when we talked about Mars as a net new customer, that didn't start as a a, a giant enterprise end to end. Uh, kind of a project, but that's where it ended, right? So you know that's that's where that's where we're at now, and so that expansion is an example of you know a, a past customer uh, catching up and expanding you know well beyond their starting point.
5: Okay, great. And then uh, I think you said just a, a couple of minutes ago that the pipeline was bigger quarter to quarter. I want to make sure I heard that. And any other color on the the pipeline relative to the different end markets, different geos? Um, uh, and yep. Any help you can provide will
2: be well. Great. I <laughs> I look at the pipeline every 24 hours. <laughs> every 24 hours, I receive uh, I receive a pretty detailed report on what we're staring at. Uh, and yes, I did say it, and it is factually correct that um, you know the pipeline is larger today than it was three months ago today, and it continues to be very healthy in, in, uh, in all of the geographies. You know, I don't see a concentration issue. Um, I, I'll add this as, you know, potentially some added color. Um, you know, we continue to see, uh, you know, the warmest areas being life sciences, no surprise. Uh, and, you know, we're hopeful to be able to announce some exciting names there. Uh, in the not-too-distant future, Uh, in the CPG space, you know, I'd say second, uh, an area that we haven't really talked about for a while that uh, is seeing some, you know, added, uh, you know, excitement, I'd say, in the pipeline is aerospace and defense, and so, you know, those are the three areas I might draw attention to in in that sequence.
5: Okay, maybe the last little quick sneaky one would be uh, just an update on the product roadmap. I mean, there's a lot of new stuff coming out this year. Maybe just sort of give us a sense of you know, where command and control is, the user experience, all of that. Has that all rolled out on plan, no pass line?
2: Yeah, we're uh, we're really excited about, uh, you know, about command and control, about um, the new user experience, um, you know, mobile-first user experience kind of uh, uh, investments that we're making and all those things continue to be um, on track in, in development. And uh, we're also focused, as I mentioned earlier, in the integration um, and unification of our uh, cloud platform for machine learning and AI, which is, you know, the the combination of the Rubic Cloud technologies, w- you know, in combination with uh, the, the CanAxis technologies. We're also working, you know, um, quite a bit on the demand sensing side, the The platform side, Uh, we're really excited with our solution extension investments um, and and rapid response as a a platform. We now have six announced solution extension providers. I would tell you, you know, we anticipate having tens of them in the years to come. You know, this is the force.com for Salesforce kind of strategy, right? I think about rapid response as a platform. Is a similar strategy as what Salesforce did when they announced Force.com. You know, to allow a third party to implement their own intellectual property on top of Rapid Response. That's that's the strategy. It's it's and it's uh, you know it's working exactly as as we had planned it to.
5: Thanks for taking all the questions.
2: Thanks, Rob.
0: And our next question today comes from Christian Scro with Eight Capital. Please go ahead.
7: Hey, good morning. Thanks for taking my questions. Uh, My first one here might be for Blaine, um, and it's to help us better understand the ARR metric. Um, You know, is there the potential, maybe not this year, but in the future for term license revenues to skew that? Um, Like, is that where maybe you'd encourage us to look at ARR and RPO at the same time? Or is there any other color you you add there on you know how much SaaS comprises, and, and how term license bookings backlog can affect the ARR
3: metric. A good question, and I'm happy to ask it uh, in case there's anyone has any confusion on it. Um, the way that we've defined our AR was to normalize uh, IFRS or normalize the contracts, their subscription term license, so we would recognize it over the the term of the contract rather than what IFRS 15 requires us to recognize the amount up front, so there, there should be no difference. Um, there are, uh, and I'm not going to point it out, but there are companies that will sometimes uh, choose one uh, ARR that um, handpicks the, the SAS amount and uh, doesn't include the subscription term license for, for whatever reason, and you can kind of bake your number a little bit because of that by switching the, the, the buckets of where they're going to fall under revenue but for us what we've done we we've, we've I've tried to make it as simple as possible if we were just re- recognizing revenue over the contract of uh that we have in place that's what you're going to get for ARR and so it's uh hopefully as simple as and it makes most the most sense to most people that if you have a subscription term license where we would usually recognize 60% of it up front and it's over 3 years we've said Let's back that up. We're going to recognize it over the full three years for the purposes of how we recognize ARR. And so we shouldn't see any spikes over, over time. It should be a very uh, smooth smooth arc that we should see.
7: Awesome. I'm glad to hear that. You guys aren't pinned to accounting nuances for this one. So uh, it shouldn't be too, too lumpy as it grows. Uh, my other question, more on the business, uh, on rapid start. Uh, as it's becoming more and more popular, um, I was just wondering if there's a way to think of the gross margin or operating margin impact of, of rapid start? Let's say, absent any expansions, um, you know, does it require less headcount labor sales to, to sell and deploy? Um, would you characterize maybe the margin impact of, as neutral or, or could it uh, shift margins one way or the other?
3: Yeah, so when we think about rapid start and when we started looking at um, what this could look like over the long term, we realized uh, obviously we would have in in the near future, we would have extra um, extra cost, so a lower gross margin in the early beginnings of uh, rapid start because we would get used to uh, scaling up, making sure we understood how to make it as uh, efficient as possible. But on the lifetime value of that that customer, we expect that that will be something where we're going to get uh, a, a couple extra points on the operating margin and gross margin. Um, as it becomes something more that we have like a template, something that we we can create very, very efficient um, uh, processes to repeat and rinse and uh, we think that uh, that gross margin will be a stronger uh, gross margin than we will see in the long term than we would have had for uh, for what we had in in, in the past with rapid re- rapid response.
7: Great, thanks for taking my questions.
0: And our next question today comes from Stephanie Price at CIBC. Please go ahead. Good morning. Thanks. John, I was hoping to talk
8: a little bit about what you're seeing from your traditional enterprise sales cycle. It sounds like you've got a few enterprise wins recently. Is the traditional enterprise sales cycle starting to normalize here?
2: Um, you know, I would say the last three quarters, um, you know, while it's you know, some of this is, is related to rapid start as an average, you know, we are seeing some, I would say, positive, uh, movement there. Um, you know, as I mentioned, you know, I'd say that, that overall, especially as it relates to rapid start deals, they tend to be, um, you know, closed at a faster rate than I'd say the larger, um, you know, global end to end transformation projects of the past. Um, And as I mentioned, one of one of the rapid start, you know, one of them was measured in weeks, shockingly. But you know, again, I I think it's early to suggest that this is going to be a you know sustainable trend. It's something that we watch very carefully. Um, And you know, as I as I like to tell the board, I've got red glasses, but not rose-colored lenses. So I, I, uh, I don't want to suggest that this will be systemic. Although, you know, the thesis would suggest that um, you know lower lower entry cost, much faster uh, return on investment. You know, return on investment inside of 12 weeks. Man, that you know is very very appealing. And so the thesis so far is holding. Um, I, I believe that the result as we as we extend Rapid Start through um, you know the quarters ahead of us that we'll see some, some improvement in the overall sales cycle.
0: Okay,
8: thanks. And then in terms of partner execution in the quarter, just curious if you could comment on that, and also whether you've seen any SI partners do solution extensions as part of an RFP process yet.
2: So, the, you know, the answer to your second question is absolutely. And, uh, you know, the beauty of, of our solution extension and rapid response is a as a platform is in in some cases the intellectual property being produced by a partner is the lead into an account. In other words, you know, that's, you know, that's the, the prerequisite value is the solution extension um, IP that leads us into an account, which is again, extremely uh, exciting. Um, And I, and I do believe that, um, you know, that trend will, uh, will ultimately continue as it relates to uh partner influence it continues to be um you know at par with previous quarters you know we we signed uh you know many many new new partners in this last quarter and uh you know they continue to be influencing the vast majority of the net new wins um you know that we're that we're uh, that we 're closing i'd say the big story though. You know, at least in my mind, the big story is 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 around the solution extension partners and the intellectual property that they're bringing to the table, and the fact that, in some cases, their intellectual property were the catalyst of us closing that new business.
8: That's great to hear. And then, just finally, from me, in terms of M and A, just curious about what you're thinking here. Been been a while since the last uh, acquisition. Obviously, you've got a good cash position.
2: So yeah, we're we're continuing to um, exercise that muscle, so to speak, and, and being a lot more thoughtful about our M and A strategy. Um, and you know, we are constantly you know look, evaluating, I'd say, buy versus build um, as it relates to uh, as it relates to our our roadmap. Um, Carrie Liu, who was the CEO of Rubicloud, um, is. Is running that program, um, you know, for me, and uh, and so I'd say, you know, there there may be some potential in the in the quarters ahead uh, for some tuck-in opportunity. Um, you know, I, I I wouldn't say I wouldn't classify um, our M&A strategy to be. Uh, you know, looking for, you know, large, I'd say, uh, acquisitions at this time, but we are evaluating opportunities against our, our um, near and midterm roadmap and looking to accelerate value, um, you know, through through potential acquisitions.
0: Great. Thanks
2: for the color. And our next Thanks, question Stephanie. today
0: comes from Nick Augustino with Laurentian Bank Securities. Please go ahead. Hello, Nick. Your line is open, sir. Are you on mute, perhaps? Sorry about that. Uh,
8: yes, uh, good morning. And, John, A few questions here. Um, first, when we think about the, the value proposition that, that Rapid Response, and now Rapid Start as well, are supposed to deliver to, to customers, when you think about, say, the the, the headwinds you were dealing with um uh, you know, or resistance to adoption, if there were any before the pandemic and at the start of the pandemic. Can you speak about maybe how rapid start and, and how the pandemic, how as it continues to play out here, how maybe some of those resistances um, have maybe you've been able to take down those walls and and convert some of the the old way of thinking to to more of the the, the new way of thinking when it comes to adoption and your value proposition.
2: Yeah, it's a great question, Nick. First i would say you know i i would i would categorize if you will the you know the the events at the start of this pandemic as being less uh you know a uh you know less so the the state where people weren't adopting the new technique it, it was more you know companies turning inward for survival um and and so you know had nothing i well i i fundamentally do not believe it had anything to do with Uh, the belief that concurrent planning and and changing their uh, protocols um, was the viable option. Again, it was much more turning inward, cash preservation, survival, and understanding the new world order. You know, how how do we survive? You know, the one thing, I've had about 60 or 65 one-on-one conversations now with chief supply chain officers over the last 12 months. And there's one thing I've heard um, almost consistently okay and it is that things that you could trust absolute trust in your supply chain from one day to the next you know things that you could trust could no longer be trusted and you know lines were you know transportation lanes would open one one day and close the next um, and so you know I, I that's how I would categorize the state of affairs when I look back at Q2 and Q3 of 2020 I'd say today you know, there is a recognition that what governed supply chains for the past 30 years won't survive the next three. That is another narrative that I am hearing. What governed supply chains for the last 30 years will not survive the next three. Every board is asking every CEO, what will you do next time? And, and so this, if anything, is driving um, the desire to rethink the governance model. And, and I, I always say this, right it's, it's far less about technology, it's all about technique. Technique informs technology, not the other way around. And so it is drawing a lot more conversation around the technique of concurrency as being the, the model of the future. And, of course, that leads to, well, what technologies enable concurrency? Well, we invented it. So, so it does bring us to the table. Um, but the conversations I have have always been and will continue to be about technique first. And, uh, and so I do think what happened with, um, you know, with this global pandemic, if I were to describe it without talking about technology, you know, mo- just about every supply chain learned what it felt like to have an agility muscle atrophy. That's the way I think about it. If you had no agility, this is what it would feel like. And, and so obviously our value proposition around concurrent planning is all about bringing, up, bringing forward hyper agility uh, to supply chains. And so, so the technique today in this dialogue, this narrative around optimizing time, you know, speed to detect, leading to speed to correct, all of these types of narratives are really, really relevant now more than ever.
8: Thank you for that. And, and Blaine, a couple of questions for you. Um, when I look at your EBITDA margin guidance, you're you're maintaining that 11 to 14 percent range. Um, I believe on the last call there was it was mentioned that the expectation that first half margins would be greater than than the second half, and I think in the first half the numbers are at 14 percent. And then just looking at the comments earlier about how as we go into 2022 you expect, I guess, spending to kind of start to, to level off here. So I'm just wondering for the second half of this year, should we still expect, say, the margin and therefore spending to, to increase versus the first half? Or should we start to expect more of a tapering and maybe look at second half margins to be more in line with the first half?
3: Yeah, so... um So you're absolutely right. We came in at 13.7% for the first half of the year for adjusted IBRA, um, which is normal for us in the first half of the year, where it's generally a little bit uh, stronger. Um, We we think that we will still end up in the 11 to 14% for the the, uh, back half of the year, um, probably very comfortably in there. Uh, Obviously, a big thing that that depends on that, and that's going to help change what we're going to look at in, in 2022 is a subscription term license so if we uh, landed some large subscription term licenses anytime in the back half of the year that will change what our adjusted EBITDA margin would, would look like and and then when you think about that and you think about 2022 we know that 2022 is expected to be a very strong year for subscription term licenses so you should expect as a result we're going to have some some points that are going to start adding up uh, on top of the uh, the numbers we have right now to get us closer to that 20%. Now, the other factor that we've talked about, obviously, is that we have slowed down the uh, the hiring because we we hired in advance of this kind of rush in of extra new customers, and we think that we're in a, a pretty good space where we're at right now with with respect to um, with respect to headcount. So, I think uh, that will all help kind of gradually get us back to that 20% number in uh, 2022. But Kind of answer your your question. We should be in 11 to 14 percent. There is always a chance that uh, something like a subscription term license could always throw that off, and we might be a little bit higher.
8: Then one one other question, which is in part tied to the to the ARR. When we when I look at your professional services number, I think it was a record uh, this quarter, 14 million, and part of that growth ties to expanded service offerings, which you guys have talked about in the past. My, my question is, is there a sustainable run rate when you look at those expanded services? And is there a predictable run rate that you can speak to that that um, that maybe you also include as part of your ARR? And I'll leave there. Thanks.
3: Yeah, so I think what you're touching on is on professional services, we now kind of almost two different uh, revenue streams that come in, one of them being sustainment, which we just talked about. Sustainment can be uh, sometimes looked at as a, as a SaaS type of business. We are not considering that, um, and, and that is not be included in our AR, so anything that you have in AR is only come from SaaS, subscription term license, and the maintenance and support. Uh, the sustainment business that uh, could be a recurring revenue uh, to a certain extent that's within professional services is not something that we're considering at this stage. Um, perhaps in the future, we may consider that. But uh, at this stage, we're not. OK, great. thank you.
0: And our next question today comes from Martin Toner with ATB Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
7: Hey, guys. Thanks for taking the question. Quick follow-up on uh, the gross margin discussion of mid-market customers. Um, we talked a bit about gross margin impact. Um, Is there a similar impact uh, on the operating margin or even the margin uh, line for those mid-market customers at scale?
3: Um, No, I I think what you're gonna see is the gross margin is gonna flow down to the operating margin overall. Um, Our our sales and marketing is is still gonna be the same. The the one thing that we might see though a little bit differently is that uh, I think that for mid-market or especially rapid start, we're going to see a lot of partners are going to be very, very interested in uh, getting involved with those types of deals because it is uh, a very similar, uh, uh, I guess, product that they'll be uh, selling that they can, uh, again, rinse and repeat over and over again, uh, and it will make them very, very efficient along the way. So overall, I think the operating margin will, will uh, be fairly similar. I think we will have a couple of points that will be uh, uh, nice, but that will come from the gross margin side. Great, thanks very
0: much. That's it for me. And our next question comes from Paul Steep at Scotiabank. Please go ahead.
1: Great
9: morning. Um, John, just quickly, could you reconcile a little bit? Lots of talk of new customers, new wins, and maybe the shift somewhat to mid market. How should we think about the cadence of on? Ramping on those customers, I guess, over time. Given given the, the mix that you're talking about shifting within the business, is it significant, or are we, you know, going to see this over the next year or so in terms of that cadence? I'm just trying to align that with some of the comments around growth.
2: Yeah, Paul, it's a lot of that has to do with uh, you know the size of the enterprise itself. Uh, you know, ramping a global Concurrent transformation governance model for a you know forty billion dollar uh, enterprise that's in every geography that matters will take longer than uh, you know ramping that same footprint for a company in fewer geographies doing you know a, a billion in revenue. Um, you know the the intent here, I, I'd say the the life the lifetime lifetime value of a customer, regardless of their you know their size and complexity. Uh, we don't believe that rapid start will diminish that uh, that number whatsoever, um, at all. You know, so so I you know that's the way I would categorize it. We you know what I am what I suggested earlier was that um, I do believe we'll continue to see a, a healthy uh, mix between land and expand. You know, revenue harvested from. You know, existing customers versus uh, revenue harvested from net new, uh, and in the past, you know that that number had been skewed mostly in, in to, you know towards the you know the net new, and so I do think our rapid start. One of the side effects of rapid start is seeing a much healthier mix between those two, and I think that trend is absolutely going to continue. Right.
9: Three three quick hits for Blaine first one just on arr just to confirm the point in time that's referenced in the definition here i'm assuming the point in time is the the end of the period such that if we think about this metric as if you never did anything else for the rest of the year arr would effectively be what fall fell out excluding the you know the sort of more variable items second would be just what the capex left to do the headquarters is for this year and uh, that was it
3: sure uh, so for AR point in time you're right is the end of the period so if you think about it uh, we make our decision at that point uh, based on any incremental bookings that have come in as well as any um, any contracts that are currently active uh, as to whether or not they should be considered an annual recurring revenue uh, we will also at that same point in time uh, take a look at any of our, our our contracts to say are there any that are in jeopardy for not recurring and so we do uh, uh, on a quarterly basis take some out at that uh, at that time so June 30th was the the last time that we provided where we hit the 200 million dollars in ARR um, with respect to capex uh, we expect that we'll be uh, uh, I guess active in the the the, the new location uh, starting February middle February right now and so we expect that that capex to continue to uh, come in uh, until uh, until that period but it should be in line with the guidance that we provide at the very beginning of the year. Okay. And the rate of use should already start moving up since
9: it sounds like it's you're already on for 2021 even though you said February move in,
3: correct? Yeah, so I would say get, look, get ready for that in Q3, Q4. Perfect. Thank you.
0: And, ladies and gentlemen, this concludes our question and answer session. I'd like to turn the conference back over to the management team for any final remarks.
5: Great.
1: Thanks, operator. Thank you, everyone, for participating on today's call. We appreciate your questions, as always, and your ongoing interest in and support of CanAXIS. We look forward to speaking with you again next time when we report our Q3 2021 results. Bye for now.
0: Thank you. This concludes today's conference call. We thank you all for attending today's presentation. You may not have your lives.